What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. Hey, everyone. We're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're actually going to spend the next five episodes on Lifecycle, and we're entitling it Lifecycle, a MarTech Saga. We should get Phil with his deep voice to do it. Phil, can you do that for me? Lifecycle, a MarTech saga. Damn. And we're going to go through the MarTech landscape of doom and talk about some of the technology that goes behind the scenes and all the human elements. I think this is the one thing as a consultant, uh, as an in-house ops person I see is always missing, uh, is the human elements. And as you know, on this show, that's what we're focused on. So let's dive in. Love it. So like the, the listeners that we have so far that are like not super, super deep into into marketing and, and MarTech, uh, maybe like this is uh, feel free to skip episode, but all uh, all our MarTech folks and our, our marketers that have kind of worked uh, in Lifecycle before, this is uh, this is the episode for you. We're going to dive super, super deep into all the different parts of this. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get it going. Yeah. So the main takeaway from this episode today, the one that you're listening to, is that in order to set yourself up for long-term success, you need a solid lifecycle program. And what I mean about long-term success is long-term success in your marketing automation platform. Uh, not only does lifecycle help you exert control and mastery over your reporting, it provides you a framework for having actually really tough discussions and really important discussions between sales and marketing. It also, I believe, will open up career opportunities. Um, in terms of like lifecycle marketing manager, this is a relatively new term that I'm seeing in the marketplace. Uh, in my opinion, you will start to see this more and more. And I believe that you unlock big value in your own career, commanding you know, upwards of a six-figure salary uh, in the marketplace. However, this topic is just way too big for a single episode. Uh, we want to keep our episodes short and, and chunky. So let's talk about the, the five episodes that are going to comprise Lifecycle, a MarTech saga. So episode one, this is this episode. We're going to talk about the what and the why of Lifecycle. In episode two, we're going to talk about how to avoid overthinking uh, the implementation of Lifecycle. In episode three, I'm going to give you some tips and, and tricks on how to design a basic Lifecycle that works. Uh, irrespective of whether you're in HubSpot, Marketo, Pardot, or whatever. In episode four, we're going to talk about picking the right MQL and scoring model for your life cycle. Very fun episode. Uh, something that Phil and I both love to talk about is scoring. And then episode five, my personal favorite is no salespeople were harmed in the making of life cycle. So there'll be a little bit of humor in that one and we'll pay off uh, all the hard work in the next five episodes there. Love it. It's uh it's gonna be a saga for sure. Um I like that we're kind of breaking it up like this. I like how, how you've kind of got that set up. So uh to kind of like lean into the first one. So we said episode one is gonna be on kind of the what and the why of life cycle. And uh I think that like most companies have some type or shape of life cycle, uh depending on like how they define it. Maybe it's not like full-blown life cycle fields, maybe it's just like mm -hmm. lists that they have somewhere in their database, but Traditionally, like without having life cycle, like the the painted scenario would be, you know, these these old school companies that we're using, and and I was part of this in my first gig in marketing as well was using like this uh, temperature mode to like say uh, if a lead is like ready for sales or not. So there's like this hot, medium, and cold mm -hmm. leads, and this system isn't really based off of metrics or anything like that, and it's not really promoting the idea that like marketing and sales are working together and talking the same language and kind of defining these things. 
And yeah, like you, you could argue that like sales isn't really tackling leads in, in the most optimal way. Um, so this would be like very foundational level, like hot leads, medium leads, cold leads, but there's obviously way better ways that marketers can help salespeople like prioritize their leads and make sure that no good leads are kind of like left untouched. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that gets into like the heart of what is life cycle. I mean, to understand what life cycle is, you need to understand the problem that it solves. And and I'm using the term life cycle as a very fixed thing. In my mind, life cycle is a methodology in terms of how you measure uh, the contacts in your database throughout the customer journey. And so it's a very measurable thing at the end of the day, but it becomes uh, kind of as I alluded to in the intro, it becomes a framework for understanding how leads progress from you know the early stages up into like an evangelist or an advocate stage. And so it touches upon multiple different departments within your organization and it starts to solve or, or provide like a background for solving these bigger problems within the organization of like, you know, what leads come from marketing and, and what happens to those leads when marketing generates them. And then on the flip side, like what does sales do with those those leads? How does sales or marketing know uh, the effectiveness of this process once they hand over leads? Um, unlike the funnel, and I think like, honestly, like most people would say lifecycle funnel at a high level, very similar, but totally can, you know, overlay both of those charts and and get a lot of value. Uh, your funnel has basic stages that would buy, describe your buyer's journey. This is awareness, interest, evaluation, purchase, et cetera. Mm-hmm. These are totally compatible. Like you should totally think about these things in the different in the same light. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it might make things a bit more confusing at first, but ultimately, the way I see lifecycle is it's a very database marketing database specific things. You mentioned some things like properties. We'll get more into that. Um, but these are very, you know, I always talk about the knowable universe. We should be able to observe our contact database and be able to sort people based on uh, their stage in the life cycle. Mm-hmm. So the funnel, the customer journey, it's more about like the the touch points that like someone goes through as a buyer in their experience with your company. So they start off like not knowing you and then they become aware of you. They consider you blah, blah, blah. You're going through that funnel in, in kind of those steps. And there's a bunch of touch points uh, in the middle of that in between those stages where you're, you're basically saying that like the, the life cycle stages from a database perspective, from a marketing and sales standpoint is having a way that like both teams can see where someone kind of sits in, in their journey, not specifically on like awareness and whatever, but like where they are in your database. Like, are they Mm -hmm. still a marketing lead at the top of the funnel? And they're just like looking at your blog and subscribing to emails, or are they like a recurring customer and they've been with you for like five years? Like those are like the two opposite ends of, of the funnel. So I like how you've kind of got that um, layered down a little bit. Um, One thing for me that like life cycle gets a bit tricky with some companies is that like some companies like to overcomplicate the process and it's filled Mm -hmm. with jargon and like these acronyms. And like, I'm, I'm curious, like what in like all your, your consulting experiences, like what are some of the, like the, the standards, like there's, there's a serious decision, like waterfall model about Mm -hmm. like, you know, all, all, all the acronyms in there, but like, what do you see as the, the standard stages? And like, do you, do you see a lot of customization in, in those like standard stages across companies? Oh, yeah. I mean, you hit on something else that I want to talk about briefly is just this idea that, you know, uh, as you 
define these stages. There become data points that you need to pull out as well. And there's a forcing function with lifecycle that I think is really important is you need some kind of signal to understand, does somebody progress from one stage to the next? Did you go from an MQL to a sales accepted lead? How did you do that? What's this data signal? So it's a forcing function to actually make you understand the activities that are happening from the sales and marketing side. Uh, back to the original point, like in terms of uh, stages, you know, I've been in Marketo, uh, consulted in the Marketo world for a number of years. Uh, now I'm using HubSpot for my day job. To be honest with you, I kind of like HubSpot's approach. It's very simplistic. Uh, sometimes I get grouchy about how fixed it can be, but ultimately I think we should all start here. And then if we customize off of that, um, you can be, you know, you, you can justify that. So in terms of like the standard stages that I see, you have your leads. So someone in your database, you know, you have your email contact. That's a lead. Uh, marketing qualified lead. It's literally exactly as it sounds. It's not overcomplicated. Marketing has qualified the lead. Uh, sales accepted. So the, the lead that marketing has sent over, sales has agreed to work with. Sales qualified. So sales has qualified that lead and has basically said, yeah, we're going to work with them now. Um, sales accepted and sales qualified. Sometimes we just skip over those two stages. It can be a little bit of a micro stage, but I like having both because it uh, represents kind of more modern sales teams that have, you know, frontline reps qualifying leads and then sending them over to the EE team to, to open up opportunities. Um, so I think it's important at least to understand that, you know, a percentage of your MQLs get sent over and maybe accepted without actively being worked on by the sales team. So yeah, we did we did a full episode with uh, Lauren Sandberg on on uh, on like the alignment between mm -hmm. sales and marketing, and she really dives into sales accepted lead as this really cool metric and like that really line in the sand between mm -hmm. marketing and sales. And without that sort of step in in the funnel, you're not really allowing that dialogue between marketing and sales and the ability for sales to say that like you know thanks for all these MQLs marketing, but like half of these are shit. And like, these are the reasons why, like in my past back reasons, this is why I haven't accepted these leads and let's work on like redefining what an MQL is. Totally, totally. And I, I always like to describe it as a trust fall, right? Like marketing sends over things as MQLs and those MQLs will fall and then sales is going to catch them and what they do with them next is important. So measuring, measuring that, it's an interesting metric, uh, MQL to sales accepted conversion rate. Uh, the next two stages that I like are the opportunity stage. Uh, hey, it's an open opportunity. You can forecast a win um, probability, like it may be a small probability, but you've got it on the deal board in some sense. Um, I typically, there's, you know, sales teams will have all kinds of different stages at the opportunity uh, stage of life cycle. Typically from an implementation perspective at like life cycle, I tend not to pay too much attention to that other than closed one and closed lost. Um but that's another discussion. And then last one would be customer. They, they've actually purchased. And of course, you know, I always say this, you can do whatever you want. I'm not your mother. Um, you can, you can spin up your own version. If you're in a platform like HubSpot, they are, you know, they provide you with default lifecycle stage properties. And again, like it's not that hard to imagine creating your own property and creating your own version of lifecycle. In Marketo, you have revenue cycle modeler. You have, you know, the ability to create custom properties and manage this on your own any way you want as well. Um, so these are only guidelines, right? But you do have what I would say is like three defined chunks that you got to think through the marketing side, the sales side, and then the customer side. And if you, and if you're measuring those three things and measuring micro stages along the way, I think you'll be in a good place for your life cycle. 
So just to recap, there's like six stages. The the first two are kind of marketing centric. We've got leads, mm -hmm. like basically people right at step number one, they're in your database. Maybe they signed up for your, your newsletter. They downloaded a piece of content on your blog. These people aren't necessarily ready for sales yet. They're just an email mm -hmm. in your database. Step number two is a marketing qualified lead. These are people at some stage that, you know, maybe marketing decides that based on their activity, based on their profile, they've reached a certain level of score or engagement threshold that they mm -hmm. think they're ready for sales. Yep. So that becomes an MQL. Sales starts their day. They get a list of all the MQLs that were converted yesterday. They get to pick which of these MQLs they accept or not. So sales accepted lead is kind of uh, stage number three. And stage number four is sales qualified leads. Those are the sales that after accepting a lead, sales picks up the phone or writes a crafty email, gets on a, gets on a conversation with those potential leads and is able to, you know, whatever the qualification process is, whether mm -hmm. it's banter, whether it's just like really getting a taste of what the problem is uh, on the customer side, SQL becomes an opportunity when there is that potential for the two companies to work together. They're the right ICP, they're right mm -hmm. budget, right time, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, uh, at some stage, they, they become a customer. So those are, those are the six that are kind of standardized, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And you can bookend those as well with with an additional one like subscriber stage, which is like super unengaged, kind of just somebody in your contact database. And then on the customer side, advocate and evangelism. Um, but yeah, I think those six is a great starting point. If you can get those six down, you you can do the other two. You can do all kinds of fun stuff on, on your reporting and be way more effective than you than you were without it. One of my first jobs in marketing was uh, working with a semiconductor company and we analyzed uh, these complicated microprocessors and we built out these reports and they were basically cross-section reports of a chip and we we're able to see like all the 12 different layers, you know, top metal, silicon metal, blah, blah, blah. We we're able to see like the cross-section of the chip. And I, I feel that like, you know, these life cycle stages as we define them for marketers in a sense, it's kind of like this cross-section of your database, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you get to have better alignment with sales and, and and marketing and be able to like show the sales team like where people are in in that in that life cycle journey and like having the percentages like obviously it's kind of this top-down funnel but being able to see areas where you know like maybe just tweaking the conversion rate a little bit on this conversion from this stage to that stage could have like dramatic impacts yeah. on on mm -hmm. revenue all the way down the line right yeah and i think like life cycle is your first step towards uh, really achieving uh, analytical nirvana, right? Like so many people are like, yeah, I want first and last touch attribution. But if you're not tracking your opportunities, you're not tracking your MQLs uh, and your stages, like all that's for naught. You're not going to get anywhere valuable. And you know what? It's, it's table stakes for a lot of marketing automation platforms. I think if you're looking to become a great marketing operations professional, really diving into this and understanding the metrics, you can then go back to all your teams and say your lead MQL conversion rate is really low, improve it, right? And that's a huge lever. You could pull that lever and, and drive more revenue. So the other one I want to say, like in terms of an overall benefit, like it's so important and we'll talk about this more in like designing the life cycle, but it's so important um, for establishing a common language between sales and marketing. Like this is often surprisingly missing between sales and marketing, like talking about your leads and, and their leads, like all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, like we, we know exactly what we're talking about. The definitions are common, they're shared. When do we can start to have shared objectives and stop feeling like you know, we're pointing spears at each other and instead working towards you know, uh, you know, that Nirvana space where we're driving revenue.
Yeah, I love it. it. Makes a ton of sense. And so I'm I'm like listening to all this and and putting on my my startup hat a little bit and you know putting my shoes in in the listeners of folks that you know might not be as as deep into to some of this stuff as as we've had the chance to be in some of these companies. But you know, in the, in these startup companies or these smaller companies, maybe the ops person on that team is wearing many hats, right? Like they might not have time to just dive into fully like build a lifecycle program for their company for the next like X uh, X months. Or, or whatever. So like, if you don't have the cycle or, um, you know, the time to, to invest in a project like this, there's, there's still kind of the ways that you can get some of the benefits of this without like the full blown, like stages and timestamps or whatever that I know we're going to get to in a sec, but like a lot of the companies in, in this area of startup world mm-hmm. have like these master life cycle lists. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've done in, and some of my previous life as well. So like, if you don't have like the bandwidth to like do this full blown project, uh, having these like master lists. So like a list of like all your leads at like that first stage of the funnel, and then a list of like all the active MQLs. And maybe they're not based on like these standard fields and like these timestamps. And they're more like, Mm -hmm. they change as people go and they progress in like the product or whatever, like there's different engagement steps that that might trigger that. Yeah, like multiple teams are still kind of agreeing on the definition. Of, of these standard operating well, processes, right? Well, and what I would say is like, I actually really like that approach from just like a practical get shit done. Um, one of the biggest problems with this project is that maybe as an ops person or as a MarTech human, you're thinking, this is what I want to do for my organization. I believe John's telling me that this is going to have lots of value, um, but I have no idea how to start. And n- none of my stakeholders are bought in. So by creating all these lists and you take the first stab at it, like this is something that's so important about just like managing up, like take the mental effort of evaluating whether this is worth effort or not by putting these lists together and then showing, hey, look at the movement between MQL to SAL, like the conversion rate from MQL to SAL is 20%, like sales is not following up on, on leads. You'll get eyeballs on this project in a, in a, in a, in a hurry, right? Mm-hmm. It'll still drive discussions for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I, I guess the point I'm making is like this. This is a big project, right? Like it's it's not not for the faint of heart, and <laughs> you know, um, there's there's multiple people kind of uh, agreeing on all these these definitions, mm-hmm. and like any any type of problem or big project that you're launching, there's there's always like the tech side, the system side, and the people side, the human side, and you know, if if you were to build lifecycle from scratch, and you know, both of us have have done this before you know, which, which side is going to be harder? Is it like the tech implementation side or is it the people side? Like having folks kind of bought in and like yeah. doing all the stuff that, that you've done, like what, what makes a life cycle project so hard? I mean, you alluded to it. It's, it's the humans, right? It's always a problem with, with, with marketing. You know, why can't just people, everybody do exactly what I want because the damn humans of Marta. I know we're always getting in the way of ourselves. Look, this is, this is a complicated project and it's actually by design should be hard. And the reason it should be hard is because you got to build consensus. You got to build some kind of agreement. So there's lots of people involved in this project. In my opinion, the more people, the better you get visibility onto a core project you can also, once you wrap up on this project, you can start to share the benefits to that group as well. And I think that's what's missing from so many times is that the hardest part of this project is demonstrating the value post-launch. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about some tips and tricks and project management side of things. Um, I did a presentation locally here on Lifecycle and we dove really deep into, into project management. I think, uh, you know, working with great project managers in my past has always given me insight into how do you run this thing? How do you drive alignment? How do you structure the meetings, the process, 
uh, to get get people agreeing. And there's lots of people who would be involved and you got to be conscious of their time. Frankly, the technical side, like it's a day's worth of work. If you just like throwing some properties in and building some workflows, like that's the easy part, in my opinion, of, mm-hmm. of almost all automation. I love that kind of thing, right? You're just problem solving then. Um, the human side, getting agreements. There's there's a lot of little things that we can do to, to make this process a lot easier on ourselves. Yeah, on the human side, there's there's things that you can do when you like announce the project or as you're kind of like building it out. Uh, like I've I've worked with like um, you know younger sales teams that are a lot more tech savvy, and I've worked with traditional sales folks, you know, who maybe have this like old school process already in place that works well enough for them historically. They've hit their quotas, so like there's less of a need for this new thing to come in and change everything, right? Like life cycle is seen as this theoretical project and it might not necessarily be this project that is going to drive revenue, right? Like if I'm a salesperson and like I'm hounding the phones every day, like having to spend like an hour block, like for the next X amount of weeks on helping the marketing team build out life cycle. To me, it's like, guys, like this isn't driving revenue. Like I'm the one paying all the paychecks for everyone in the company. Like, let me focus on, on that shit. Right. So like, that's, that's the part that is like tough to, to implement this. And one thing I'll say here is that like this, this can never be a project that is pitched as a marketing idea, like purely from a marketing standpoint and like shoved down like sales throats because like marketing thinks that like we should do this. And it shouldn't even be seen as this like top down initiative where, you know, management is deciding that we're going to do life cycle and we're going to do scoring. And this is how it's going to happen. Like this needs to be something that is built through the alignment of marketing and sales. Like there needs to be dual buy-in common language, agreed upon definitions. Like this can't just be something that is just like given to the salespeople and just like, this is how it's going to work in the future. Deal with it. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, I think this is as much as it can't be a pitch from the marketing team. It can't be just like marketing, you know, doing its usual thing, jumping over in sales and be like, oh, a bunch of lazy salespeople. Why won't you let me do ops things? I think that this is often a marketing driven initiative anyways. And sometimes it kind of gets driven from the middle, right? Like your marketing operations manager and you think this is a good idea. And, and I go back to the point that you made earlier that I really like is uh, think about those lists, right? Build out a report, show gaps and say, well, look, if I had this type of programmatic understanding of my database that, you know, conversion rates from SQL to opportunity is, is a problem or what is my MQL to opportunity rate? Like, Hey, I, as a marketer, I think if I understood what programs and campaigns are driving pipeline, I could give you more of that. But if I don't understand it, I can't do that. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, uh, blindfold, blindfolded and throwing darts at a wall. So I think, you can build buy-in for these these programs by doing a lot of the legwork up front already and showing the opportunities. And then people are like, like nobody on the sales side is going to say no to making more money. Mm-hmm. Nobody on the marketing side is going to say no to a more efficient and better process for everybody. So there's there's a happy angle to this, I think, as well. Yeah, I like how you shape that. Like it's it's not all negative and not all like a bunch of work. Like there there is gold <laughs> at the end of of this process. But oh, yeah. you know, so you you've had the chance to do this in in a bunch of different platforms, Marketo and, and HubSpot to to kind of name a few. And you've done this in house, and you've done this consulting side as well. Yeah. Potentially huge projects, like mm-hmm. like a new marketer who's kind of starting off. Like, why on earth would you recommend this as as, as a project that this person should take on? I mean, this isn't faint for this isn't for the faint of heart. I think it it is, however, a point that you have to look at. Like, if you were to chart your own marketing automation platform on like a maturity model, I think this is 
baseline for 101. Like you really do need to understand this. Every time that you go through an implementation with like a, a HubSpot or a Marketo, their professional services team, they're going to talk to you about life cycle. Like it's just, just what's going to happen. Um, it is just in terms of uh, your mastery over the database. It gives you so much more control. Like the outcomes is where I would look at it and then work backwards. Like I can run better and more efficient nurture campaigns. I can start to build personas and segmentation and get my conversion rates for persona A versus persona B. I can start to build in large scale A-B testing on my database. Like, uh, you know, multi-touch attribution. These are all things that you unlock by having this, but without it, your database is going to, continue to look like a hot mess. And I've seen hot messes uh, across the side and made a few along my way as well. So uh, I, I would totally, totally look at it that way. I'd also look at it from your own careers mentioned at the top of the episode. Like me, if I was a betting man, I would say that you're going to start to see lifecycle marketing managers uh, pop up more and more on the job boards. And I think you're going to see those command a six figure salary. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of folks are really attracted to, right? Like, how do I put this into practice? How do I become a great ops person? How do I, you know, get an awesome salary for my, myself and my family? There you go, folks. I love it. Best way to avoid uh, these dooming looking uh, databases is to really dive into the life cycle. If you've never done it yet, or if there is some type of life cycle in your company, there's always room for, for improvement. It's a great project to, to get more in line with uh, sales and marketing. So that was this was part one of our, our saga into, into life cycle. We kind of covered the what and the why. And in episode two, which is coming up right now, uh, we're going to dive into how to avoid or overthink implementing a life cycle.